0: Hello and uh, welcome to the Dr Lake Show. This is Dr. Paula Lake. Really happy to be here today. A uh, beautiful day here in uh, British Columbia, Nanaimo. And uh, I am here again with my uh, assistant and co-producer Dylan soriano Pauling. Hello Dylan.
1: Hello Paula.
0: Nice to have you once again.
1: Yeah, it's good to be here, and we have a guest today.
0: We do have a guest today, and actually, this is uh, for me a special guest. This is someone I've known for a number of years and worked with, and who has been, in some respects, a mentor to me in in as I started out and launched off in my private practice. So I've been very grateful. He's been a wonderful support throughout the years. Um, he's also a very experienced uh, clinical psychologist, uh, currently retired over 40 years, or just under 40 years experience, I believe. Um, Started in Ontario, BC, uh, working as a psychologist, and then has um, specialized in a variety of areas through the course of his career. Um, A wealth of knowledge and lots of experience. And so I'm really happy to have you here, Larry. Thank you for coming.
2: You're very welcome. Nice to be here.
0: Well, you know, we've had some fun over the years, right? As you've been doing your work and you've had lots of different experience and one of the things I always um loved about you was your concept of reinventing yourself and and so through your career has really reflected that right
2: yeah unfortunately I'm someone who gets bored pretty easily so just doing straight clinical practice the way I started out many many years ago um it was all right for a while, but then I wanted more variety. I wanted more challenges. I wanted more opportunities to learn in different areas. And so I started branching out from individual and family therapy to uh, custody and access assessments, which we can get into another time, um, looking at different populations that I could serve, such as uh, people with uh, high trauma uh, symptoms, all of which provided learning opportunities for me and an opportunity to expand my practice and get into different things and keep me interested.
0: And you even did some, some of your own uh, uh, other ventures. You went into real estate, you explored other dimensions. So you really practiced a lot of the, of the work that you did. Was You really made the best effort to model all that you were teaching, really.
2: I tried to. Um, I've even, in my past, made a couple of videos, um, one of which I helped co-write. Um, so yeah, we tried, I tried to use my skills in different ways and um, some ways were educational, trying to mm-hmm. educate the public about different things. Um, some were, as I say, applied primarily to my clinical practice, um, but I was always interested in learning more. And uh, as, as you know, towards the end of my practice, I was developing uh, new clinical procedures for dealing with trauma, which were very effective, mm-hmm. um, some of which I've uh, taught to other people. And I tried also to be there to help other psychologists who were building their own practices, and used to receive phone calls over the years. Um, how do I do this? How do I expand? What do I do about this? And so I tried am, to am, am I one of those
0: people? Uh, we've had some
2: <laughs> conversations. Some interesting challenges.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, one of the things I've always talked about, even in my radio or doing show, is you know we got to find mentors and. You know, find people that, that have something that, you know, that they can share with you. And, and that's how we grow, right? We grow through meeting with people that, such as yourself, who has a lot of experience and, and guidance. And you have a, always an inspirational message that's I've always appreciated.
2: Well, I think, too, it's generally recognized that if you want to learn something new, having a mentor is one of the fastest and most efficient way of doing that. Yes, so that way you don't have to go and do all the research and, try uh, and incorporate what what it's all about and make sense of it all. You've got someone you can actually talk to. Yes, and those interactions are, I think, extremely useful. Yes, very yes. valuable in helping people learn.
0: Yeah, and and uh, you know, and I think that you've certainly been a, one of those too many people that, in my sense, in in your work, um, and we have a number of topics that we had talked about maybe coming up with, because there's, I think we could probably talk for a number of hours on different topics. Um, But we picked one in particular. I think it's kind of relevant to COVID because of all the changes that have been happening. And it's also a a good follow-up to, um, to my previous show, which was really about loneliness. And it's irrelevant to that. Um, One of the things um, I, what we're talking about today uh, is about uh, relationships and and um, the meeting and the looking for the partner that would be considered suitable to you, um, and perhaps even how to choose and select and screen the partners that you uh, are looking for uh, and some of the challenges uh, people have. And uh, this is something you and I have talked about. and I uh, one of the things I remember in my private practice, and you might have experienced that too, Larry. Just how many people experience loneliness, and and struggles in finding that partner, and how important this topic is. Um, you were talking the, uh, recently about the importance of relationships. I'm um, wondering if you could talk a little more from that. That what would you would you express with me about why do relationships what relevance are they to our well-being?
2: Well, I think to really understand that, Paula, we have to go back to sort of the beginning of when we started to really look at relationships and what was important and and what were the differences between what we would like to have and what do we actually need in relationships. Mm. And for that, I go back to experiments that were done in the 40s and 50s and even in the 60s which would never be allowed today, by the way, because they were simply too cruel Mm -hmm. um, on the participants, because the participants in these cases were, uh, to begin with, young rhesus monkeys, uh, which Harlow used, and then later people used actual uh, infant children, orphan children. Um, And one very famous experiment, which I know you know about, uh, was an experiment in which they took, I think it was 20 children, and they provided them with the bare necessities of life. In other words, they were fed, uh, they were changed, uh, they were provided uh, warmth and a bed, but basically no more human contact than was absolutely necessary to provide those, those basic necessities. And they compared those children with another 20 children who were cuddled and rocked a certain amount of time each day, and they were looking for what happened. And we could it's a whole range of experiments that are fascinating. They had to stop that experiment because the children who were not receiving any touching, the cuddling and the rocking, started to die. Yeah. So that was a very clear indication that in human relationships, contact, whether it's touching or emotional, um, is very important for mm-hmm. our emotional well-being. Mm-hmm. And I think that we see that today uh, with COVID-19, and particularly in the long-term care homes. The biggest complaint we hear being reported from the families and from the people in the care home is we're not getting any contact. It's all very well to talk. We can do it by Zoom. We can do it by phone. We can do it behind plexiglass windows, but we're missing the contact. And some people have even gone so far as to say, fine, uh, we're keeping our elderly safe, but for what purpose? They're depressed. Mm -hmm. They're unhappy. uh, They're suicidal. Um, because they're missing that human contact that my belief is, is so is so very, very valuable.
0: So this is one of the biggest challenges in this time. And so and and you know we, we, we've uh, and part of my discussion from the last show was that people feel um, that isolation on a, even a physical level that this um, it's that feeling of something lacking that is a need and and how it impacts, our survival, really. Um, so this is for me a really relevant topic. Um, the issue that I see, especially during COVID, is that um, how is is and not even be, even before COVID. And you might hear some scratching in the background. That is my lovely dog, who's uh, entertaining herself as we are doing a show. So um, just think of it as white noise in the background but um so choosing a partner um and uh, there's issues that i see and and you've likely seen over the years around choosing a partner um that people t- tend to have patterns hold I, I, do, do you hear that noise I do. Yes. yes um let me just see uh if i can get stella so the name of my dog is Stella, and she's a major sweetheart. Uh, you might end up seeing her on Instagram. I have a few pictures of her. And she's contact. She's she's my uh, my partner in crime here as I'm doing this show. So um, there she goes. You see? I just had to bring her up for a minute. So is the issues around finding partners that are suitable, and there are things that we've talked about that we see as patterns of what people tend to do um, when they're looking for a partner. And I'm wondering if you could bring up some of those topics we've brought up.
2: Okay, well, let's go back first of all to uh, what's the basis of a relationship. Um, And in my opinion, one of the biggest bases is support and choosing a partner, um, whether it's a friend, whether it's an intimate partner, whether, whatever, um, where you get the kind of support that you need and you give back the support that they need. And for this, we're, we're talking about healthy relationships, not dysfunctional relationships. That's a whole other topic that mm-hmm. we could talk about. That's right. a season. That's a season, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so the biggest problem I see, um, if I could just jump ahead a little bit, um, is people don't give enough thought to the kind of person that they want and need to have in their life. And the analogy I've used for years is people give more thought to going out and buying a new car than they do to the kind of person they would like to be. To be with. Yes. And I've said to you before, you know as we've talked, I said when you go to buy a new vehicle, if you want a little energy efficient car, you yes. don't start off looking at trucks. Yes. You know, you you set up some criteria for yourself whether you write them down or just in your mind and that guides the search in terms of making the choice of what you're finally going to buy. Yes. But what I see people doing and have over the years is they give, they don't really give any thought to what are the qualities of the person that I would like to be with? What, what does this person need to have, whether they're male or female? Um, How do we fit together in terms of our beliefs and um, our views of the world and, and how we want to be in this relationship, you know, there's the old idea, people, when they're getting into a relationship, they never talk about things like finances. Very important topic in any relationship, as we both know. They never talk about sexuality. What do they expect in terms of their intimate relationship? They don't talk about um, core belief values. We used to call it religion, but it really is broader than that. And, and how do you view the world? And how, what kind of partner do you need who's going to support you in those views and grow with you? so that you can grow together in developing a a very strong, healthy relationships. Um, And I think it's unfortunate, and we can talk a little bit later if you like, about what I used to suggest to people um, Mm -hmm. about how to overcome some of that. And to be honest with you, the people that did that, and when I was seeing them in my practice, usually did quite well. They, They made some really good choices and they found some really good people. To be involved
0: with. Well, and in fact, I have been utilizing some of those, and I I can second that opinion that um, I find it really helpful. Um, one of the um, metaphors I've always thought of is similar to car. We have this this cars seem to be a great metaphor for this, but um, is when when I when I've gone out and gone to purchase my car or look for a car that I'm interested in, I'm also. More inclined to see that car out on the street once I have primed myself to looking for that very car. So it's the interesting thing is when we lay out what we want, it almost primes us to be in a better position to notice that and see it out there. Um, It's kind of a uh, a way that the brain um, perceives what we're looking for, right? And
2: um, and as you know, there's been a lot written about what we call the law of attraction. Yes. That if we really focus very clearly on what it is that we want, we tend to attract that very thing into our life. And so if I can just for a moment talk about the three lists that I used yes. to my clients yes. to, to do. There were, there were three lists. And the first list was, what are the qualities that are absolutely essential for this person to have in order for me to be interested in that person? And there usually weren't that many, you know, three, four, sometimes five or six or so. But I used to caution people, don't make the list too long because you'll you'll end up screening out everybody and there'll be nobody <laughs> left. So <laughs> you you want to really look at your own core values and really understand what's important. For example, when I was looking for a partner, one of my criteria was always absolutely no smoking. Mm-hmm. You can be the most wonderful person in the world, the most intelligent, the most witty, the most beautiful, etc. But if you smoke that was no it. That, but you. That was an automatic.
0: You have so these when we're drawing that line, and this is something I think is really important, is that that line is actually really drawn. And I think I've I've talked with people sometimes who say, "Oh, I you know definitely don't want to be with uh, someone who drinks," but you know they're they're not always falling through, and so there you need to really sit with that. And be really honest with yourself when you're writing those lists to examine whether you're going to actually follow through on that. That's an important part of it, right?
2: And, and that's why that first list, I, I used to term absolutely essential. Yeah. I'm not going to waver from this. I, and these lists, by the way, it's not something you sit down in five minutes, you scribble them out. I used to tell people, sit down, do the three lists, and I'll talk about the other two in a moment,
1: mm-hmm. and then come
2: back to them a week later mm-hmm. and see if there's any revisions. Come back to them two weeks later to see if there's revisions. Come back to them a month. Because at the end, you want to have things on your list that really do reflect what's important to you. And the second list were things <clears throat> that were important but not critical. Mm-hmm. So um, I want someone who uh, tells the truth, for example. Yeah, we all give little white lies once in a while. but But basically someone who's honest, someone who's, Dependable, I can I can depend that they're going to be there for me, mm-hmm. um, and, and qualities like that, that that really contribute to a strong relationship, mm-hmm. a healthy relationship. And the final list was things that would be nice, but they're really not that important. So maybe you have a preference for a blonde man, for example, but you meet somebody who's got all the other qualities that you're really looking for, but they're brunette or maybe even bald. Yeah, and so for sure. That outweighs all of these minor things that, yeah, it's nice, you know, that, that you might be initially attracted, but then you go through your list in your mind and you, you weed out. And as mm-hmm. I say, if you go to a party and you have this list in your mind of what you've come up with, you can very quickly determine who are the people you might be interested in getting to know and who are the people you really don't want to get to know. Mm-hmm. And it makes it very easy.
0: In my experience, because I've been probably doing vision and listing since I was really young, and and in my experience that when when we've done that process enough times internally uh, with ourselves, we also get to have a really more automatic uh, reflect those, you know, the, because we've been primed with it, sometimes um, I automatically notice that quality that I absolutely don't want to be with without even thinking about it, because I've spent enough time internally processing that. And mm-hmm. so it, it really is an important exercise, I think. Uh, actually, maybe not if critical for me, that we do something like that. Um, uh, and the one thing I've noticed when people start trying to identify the things that are important to them, um, they tend to go for generic, generic concepts. Um, Nice. Good looking. Kind. Nice. Kind. Um, fun. Fun to be with. Uh, and they seem to miss those foundational substance issues that actually improve our survival. One of the things you and I have talked about is um, finances are one of the number one reasons that couples break up. Mm-hmm. Number one. And, um, And when people think of money, when they're looking at a partner, they're, you know, they might think someone with money or a steady job, but they might not be thinking about how are you managing money? Um, It's not really about how much you make. You can still destroy your life, right? Absolutely. Even if you're making a good income. Um, How do you cope in life? How do you cope with stress? Um, You know, uh, are, are there destructive tendencies? And, and. When we're so vague and we make these generic terms, it's amazing how we overlook that,
2: right? Well, there's very few times in our life that we're required to be specific. Yeah. You know, we, we tend to live our life with these generic concepts, these vague concepts that everybody uses, and nobody really knows what they mean. And, you know, If you say to me, I'd like to be with someone who's kind i have no idea what that means yeah i have a concept in my mind of what it means to me to be with someone who's kind completely but that may be as black and white yeah when compared to what you need yeah and so that's why these lists are so important that you be very very specific as specific as possible and that's why it's important to take time Mm
1: -hmm. to really
2: understand because what you're really doing as you can appreciate Mm -hmm. is you're really learning a lot more about yourself absolutely being clear about yourself Mm -hmm. yes it has to do with who you'd like to be with a new partner but it's really about you it is
0: really about you absolutely um what happens i don't know if you've run into this but issues around self-esteem um people writing getting clear on what they want and then asking themselves whether they're worthy of it
2: that's a huge factor Mm -hmm. it really is and unfortunately too many people get to that point and they decide, well, I'm probably not good enough for this kind of person, this ideal person that I've set out for myself. That's one option that they mm-hmm. can make, decide to do. Another option is, okay, maybe I need to take a look at those areas in myself that I need to improve. Maybe that means going into therapy for, for a period of time. Yeah. And really learning more about myself and developing those characteristics that allow me then to accept someone who has the characteristics that I've identified yeah. into my life. You know, just because you don't have them now, as you know as a psychologist, it's uh, the whole th- idea of learning more about yourself is that it allows you to grow and to change. These people that can say, you know, I'm, I can never change. Well, they've just negated your career and my career because that's, that's <laughs> what our careers are all about. That's, is, that's what changed. we're about,
0: absolutely. You know, yeah. and
2: as you know... The only people who can't change are those people who refuse to accept the fact that they,
0: they can. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah you, you're, your result is guaranteed if you do nothing. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, best to do something different. I don't know if you have any thoughts, Dylan, in what we're talking about.
1: That's been a big theme since I've met you that's um, really sunk in with me is that, yeah, if you want something to change in your life, you have to do something different to make a change um that's been very helpful it's really um, a crazy time to be talking about relationships exploring relationships because so much of it has changed yeah um yeah uh it's really interesting hearing it from from your perspective Mm -hmm. um like so one of the things that um, I'm finding very interesting is like the dynamic um, in trying to meet a partner during the like COVID era. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, let's for a moment talk about the concept of romantic love. Yes. Because that's such an overwhelming um, component. Hilarious uh, in all the
0: movies and the news. And, and, oh, I absolutely. Mean, absolutely. It's, it's, absolutely. it's, 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 it's just
2: going to. We're going to walk into the room and we're going to be gobsmacked when we meet this wonderful person and that's going to be it and we're going to be happy for the rest of our life. Well, we all know that that's absolute nonsense. That's not not reality at all. Um, But, and we can talk about this for a little bit, Paula, the idea of romantic love is valid in certain ways. You know, when we do meet someone who, for want of a better term, excites us or really attracts us, Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of changes that take place yes. um, physiologically and biologically and emotionally. Um, and unfortunately, if we don't have a good idea of the kind of person we want to be with, those will overtake us and they will result in us making usually some very bad decisions Absolutely. or risky decisions. You know, and I know you and I have talked, you might want to talk a little bit more about because you've been more reading in that area than I have, mm-hmm. um, about of biological changes that take place in the body and how long they really last in reality yes
0: um um, part of this is through the work of bruce lipton who's um published a a book and done some work on uh, understanding relational he's a cell biologist and he um published a book called the honeymoon effect and what i found really interesting about that conversation is when we experience falling in love or We experience that physical excitement, those endorphins, those whatever we want to call it. We are, as you mentioned, gobsmacked, and you walk into a room and see somebody, and you say, that's the man I'm going to marry, or that's the woman that's going to be for me forever. Um, In the process of getting to know and, and, and experiencing all these physiological changes, it actually affects the way we we are and how we present ourselves in relationship, because the very introduction of these hormonal changes um, influence us to really be our best selves in those moments that we are in love. It th- That cascade of hormones um, optimizes. You know, Think of the times when you look back in your history and you were your best self when you were feeling great. Um, you were behaving in a way that you would have loved to behave. When we are in that state of in love, it is easier to access that place again. And that's why it's so hard to make judgments in that moment because we literally filter out any um, red flags because the hormonal, the, the meeting of that person, um, we tend to be our best selves. And as the hormones... And settles as all that falling in love process calms down um, our natural habitual state starts to show up and I, I think I don't know whether he was suggesting eight months it's it could be a year for however long that period lasts we really need to take time in in to really see who the real relationship is. I had a psychologist friend who would she would always say after a period of time, um, let's say they've been together for a year and suddenly the person starts acting out and and she says, oh, okay, now, that, now the real relationship is showing up. So the, the real relationship we don't know necessarily right when we first meet somebody and it, it's a process of taking time.
2: Always. Yeah. And that's why... In a healthy relationship, the communication is so important because it's going to happen to both parties. They're Mm -hmm. both going to revert back to who they really are. They've been putting their best foot forward, as we say, or their perfect self forward, or presenting themselves as they would like themselves to be, but it's really not realistic. Mm -hmm. And you talked about red flags, and I I would contend that the red flags are always there if we're looking for them. But the reality is in the first few months we don't look for them or right. we ignore them so you may go to a party and your partner you're with has one too many drinks and you look at them saying oh, i thought you told me you didn't drink well that was just that once i'm sorry i got carried away or or you're driving down the road and the person who's driving gets cut off and they they react quite strongly i'm going to show him i'm going to cut him off or her off or whatever and you say well, well wait, wait a minute it wasn't that serious well, it was to me, it shows disrespect and yeah. all that sort of thing. Yeah. Those are red flags. Those are I know. possible drinking red flags, possible yeah. anger red flags. Absolutely. Um, irritability uh, can be a, a, a problem with, with anger management. Yeah. So it's all these things that are there. But we tend to just overlook them and say, well, that's just once, you know, we've been together for two months, and that hasn't happened before, so I'm, I'm just going to ignore that. Yeah. But later on, we start to see it come out more and more strongly, yeah. and it creates a problem.
0: Well, which speaks to the idea that we need to observe what what someone is doing more than what someone is actually saying. Um, and I think sometimes we get seduced by the words, where for me actions always reveal themselves more than what how someone might describe themselves. I've certainly known of people that have talked even about, I'm in a transitional state um i've always been like this in the past but now i'm changing well we need to sort of observe what they're actually doing more than what they're saying and one of the traps we fall into because we might want a relationship that much is we want to believe what they say
2: we we want
0: to we want to believe it right
2: and that get back to our own personal need at that particular point in our life yeah you've probably heard this which i heard many times in my practice well you know, I didn't have a relationship, but all my friends did, and so I felt kind of left out. And I really wanted to get into relationships so I could fit in. Yeah, it's a, sort of the same idea of well, all my friends are having babies, so I thought I'd better have a baby. <laughs> you know, it's, it's ridiculous yeah, a reason for doing that. Yeah, but you're right. We we tend to put our needs ahead of our better judgment. Yeah, and I go back again to saying if you don't have A clear understanding of what it is that you want, that's going to happen over and over again. Yeah. If I can just give you one example, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I found fascinating, as you mentioned, I, I, I've been doing or I did custody and access for many, many years. And for the, be- the listeners who don't know what that is, it's when parents break up and they get into a big, terrible fight about who's going to have the kids and how much time and all the rest of it. And so part of what I would do when I was assessing those situations is I would do personality testing of the biological father, the biological mother, and often the new um, partners of each of them. And many times I would have somebody come back in my office and said, I, th- I think you got these results mixed up. I, I, I think what you've done is you, did, you mixed up my new partner with my ex. Because my new partner is not at all like my ex. And I would pull out the psychological testing and I would look at and show them and say, look, with very minor variations, you're with someone exactly like you just left. This person has the same personality as your ex. And they would just be astonished because the tests weren't lying. They were showing the person that they were really with.
0: We actually do tend to draw the same person into our lives on a repeated basis.
2: If we don't make changes, if we don't
0: make changes, if we don't learn the lesson, uh, you will continue to be taught.
2: (laughs) Exactly, exactly, and uh, we see that happening so often, particularly with multiple marriages and multiple divorces. Absolutely,
0: Um, I wanted to get back to Dylan's question as well: Is how do people manage in the dating world now that we're dealing with COVID? Um, do you have any thoughts about how we, we navigate COVID and dating now that we have worries about our survival?
2: Well, I would argue that we use the same techniques that were successful for us before. Let me explain what I mean by that. We all know about the different dating sites, Lava Life, yes. uh, Match, et cetera, that are on the internet. Yes. And more and more people, because we can't go out and be involved in the activities that we used to be involved with, are turning to those sites to try and find someone or meet someone who they think might be someone they want to be with. Right. But think for a moment about how best to use those sites. If you just use the site to find someone who is attractive, witty, fun, someone you enjoy talking to. And you're not doing anything different than really you were doing 10 years ago before COVID Mm -hmm. when you were just attracted to the superficial characteristics or some of the characteristics of the person. But people who use those sites to meet someone and then engage in a conversation over a fairly long period of time, I'm talking about maybe several months before you even agree to meet that that person. Mm -hmm. So you get to know the person, you get to talk to the person, you get to bring up topics, what's... How do you feel about this? What's important to you in terms of this? Um,
0: take the time. Take, take the time. The time. Get to Absolutely.
2: The person so that when you finally do meet them, you have a good idea of this person that you're meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Meeting is a lot more interesting, a lot more enjoyable. But we have to work with what we have.
0: Mm-hmm. And and when you do finally decide to meet, we can. And I have heard of people having social distancing dates. They go walk their dogs or they meet at a park and just walk outside just to get a sense of whether they connect. But like you said, um, I think, you know, one of the things I found amazing is I've actually known people who have still managed to get, a, find a partner or find someone of interest, even during COVID. Um, and much like you said, they put themselves out there, took their time. Um, and, um, and in some cases, even through um, activities and Activities that you enjoy. Um, One point I want to bring up that I think is something I see a lot uh, that shows up, and I'm uh, curious about this, is um, the limiting beliefs. Um, And, uh, you know, things I hear a lot of people say and the impact it has on their experience of dating and being single. And I'll tell you some of the phrases that I tend to hear, and you may have heard some of them too. Um, there's no good men out there. There's no good women out there. Um, I'm too old. Um, I'm too fat. Uh, it's tied to self-esteem. But even on a generic level, people think they're talking about facts when I'm not sure that they are facts when they say there's no men out there or all the good men are taken. <laughs> um you know, and all the good men are taken. Someone might still have a sense of self-worth, but a belief like that is inherently limiting. And wonder if you can comment on that. What your thoughts are?
2: Well, those beliefs come from so many different places. It's hard to really be specific. Mm-hmm. The kind of family you grow up in, um, the kind of parents you had, and the kind of relationship that your parents had, um, all have a huge impact on our beliefs about relationships. Mm-hmm. If your parents, for example, were involved in an abusive relationship, you may grow up to believe that all men are abusive, and I really have to be careful. Yeah, And that's going to really influence the kind of men that you allow yourself to look at. So if a man is assertive, appropriately assertive, um, and um, really, uh, has a clear idea of what they want to achieve in life, you may perceive that as being aggressive and scary, and run like heck, yeah. Um, and instead, choose someone who's very shy and and backward and not capable of meeting your needs. We yeah. look at what our friends do, and we look at, at uh, their beliefs and the the influence of peer pressure in in dating. As you know, is massive. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we've all heard stories about the high school sweetheart that every girl or every guy yeah. was after, and uh, the kind of how that influences the kind of person we tend to look for in, in, yeah. the, in the future. Um, the uh, the impact of our friends' relationships can have a huge impact as well. Um, we watch what happens with their relationships. Were they successful? Were they not? If they were successful, what did we? What can we take away from that? What can we learn? And so all of these things come into play um, in terms of trying to understand and and uh, and believe that that's what yeah. what we deserve. And we talked earlier about the effect of self-esteem, and I, I think that's huge. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of other cultural things as we've talked about.
0: Well, and then all of the, these beliefs get, let's say, put out there and, and conversed and talked about, and we all influence each other with these beliefs. And so that sometimes I have literally think I've seen groups of people in a joint mutual state of hopeless depression based on common beliefs they're sharing about mm-hmm. men or women and... And you know the same I- idea. You know, um, uh, when I, I've heard a lot of people saying statements like "there's no men out there" or "there's no women out there," um, is is the fact that um, we have a confirmation bias, generally. And if if I am planting those thoughts in my mind, um, my behavior is going to change depending on my belief. Um, If I believe there's no good men out there, um, then I may just not go out and date or I may be focusing. One thing I do is have people um, start to see something opposite from what they tend to say they see. So um, if they say all men are abusive, I will take time. I'll say, well, let's start to see and be deliberate about seeing men that are not. Because they, the opposite exists. Um, so there's a bit of a confirmation bias. And especially if we're in a particular circle of people, um, and we assume that that circle of people represents all people. And we tend to overgeneralize.
2: Well, that gets back to the idea, too, that our beliefs shape our perception of the world.
0: Absolutely, they you
2: do. Yeah. And that, that then leads to what I call the, the law of attraction. We into our life only those things that are con- consistent with our beliefs yeah so you're right We've, we don't change our beliefs yeah we're not going to see what's out there and I've had in my practice I'm sure you have too men say well there's no good women out there I mean Nanaimo's too small or there's Completely. no good men out there you know where can I go to meet a good man in Nanaimo This, they're all taken sort of idea yeah. and that's absolute nonsense Yeah. you know it's absolute nonsense well yeah. In little villages of several hundred people, and they yeah. find someone, then are very happy yeah. because they're willing to look and, and see the characteristics, and they have a good idea of the kind of person they want to be with.
0: Well, and you know, and often it's amazing how we make these kind of judgments, global judgments. Uh, when you know, if we're really going to be the scientists of the world, we can know that uh, you know, there's a hundred thousand people in in Nanaimo, and you know, for example. Um, and, you know, there's probably a number of people that we have never met that are, are absolutely starving and wanting a relationship. Um, so, but I think we need to change that dialogue as well. We need to change and catch yourself when you're saying things like, there's none of this. That, you know, be deliberate about seeking something um, perhaps opposite from what we assume, right? Yeah. And-
2: That gets back to if we know the kind of person we would like to be with, then it opens the doors for us to find that kind of person. You know, and I've heard the opposite, as sure you have as well. If someone's from Vancouver, for example, they say, I can't find anybody in Vancouver, it's too huge. Where do we even start looking? Yeah. So they give up and they don't bother even looking. Yeah.
0: What do you suggest for people to do in working on changing their beliefs? around uh you know because i know it's it's when especially if it gets entrenched with a depression those beliefs get really rigid and people get stuck in them and and then they feel like they're they act like they're in a desert and um you know what do you suggest in changing some of those beliefs how do we do that
2: I think the first thing that you need to do to change your beliefs is to get a really clear idea about what your beliefs are. Right. And one of the things that I don't think people do enough is sit down with a pad of paper and a pencil and write down what their beliefs are. Mm-hmm. And I say write down rather than go to your computer. Yes. Because research has shown when you're writing, you, you're far more involved in the task of writing down what you're doing. It's, what you, what you believe, than going to computer and tapping on a few keys. Yeah. has a totally different effect. It, it, may, it may seem strange, but it does. Well, amazing. right? And once we have a clear idea about what our beliefs are, then we can start looking at those beliefs, and either by ourselves, through you know, just, um, trying to understand ourselves better, or with the help of a therapist, or maybe yeah. the help of some close friends, yeah. or even family members, really take a look and see, are these beliefs true? Am I really fat? Yeah. Compared to the general population, oh, and you might discover, well, yeah, you're 10 or 12 pounds overweight. That's hardly fat. Yeah. Look, just go to the mall and sit there and watch people (laughs) walk by. You'll see people who are really fat. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying, for yourself, take a real look honestly at yourself and see what it is that you really believe. Because then, you can start to make some different choices. And again, it comes back to choices. And I... I've taught people for years and years and years that everything we do is a choice. Whether we understand that or believe that or not, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: don't believe everything you believe. No, absolutely (laughs) not.
2: That's what we're just talking about. Absolutely. (laughs) Challenge yourself.
0: Well, you know, it's funny. One story I have is um, uh, my aunt who was in her 60s in Italy. And um, she was with someone that was... Uh, with whom she felt quite lonely in his in this in this relationship. Um, he, he lived in another city for years. they'd been together 12 years, but it was an emotionally distant relationship, physically distant, but they enjoy doing the odd thing together. Um, one of the reasons she stayed is because she used the had the belief I'm too old, I'm too old, I'm too old for a, a relationship. So when I went to Italy and I met with her, um, she I, she was quite in a negative place in this belief and led to her depression. And so we talked about it and we talked about it. When, one of my perspectives is we can be lonelier in a relationship. Sometimes that's unhealthy than we can on our own. Um, she did. She was in her 60s, uh, late 60s, left him. Um, announced it to me. And before I knew it, she connected with uh, an agency that that put people together based on criteria of what was important to them. And after maybe several dates, um, in her 70s, met this amazing man. And she's, I've never heard her laugh. It's been years now. She's as happy as can be. And I think we need to hold on to stories um, that are uh, that give us hope, rather than stories that um, the, the the stories that are give us um, hopelessness. Right? Mm-hmm. That they make a difference.
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. Just going back to a point you made about mm-hmm. your aunt, there. I think it's important for people also to recognize the difference between. Being alone versus being lonely. Yes, you can be alone and be very, very happy, absolutely fulfilled, and and have a very active and challenging and interesting life, even though you're so-called alone. But you can also have many, many people in your life, as you say, and be in a relationship, and all the rest of it, absolutely, incredibly lonely. Yeah, because your needs are not being met.
0: Absolutely. So it's very important to, regardless to to, it's not really about just having a presence of a body and with us, but to have a connection, um, and to create that connection. Um, Dylan, do you, do you want to? Do you have any other questions, or do you want to add something?
1: Um, yeah, I kind of um, thought of a sort of dilemma, like a hypothetical dilemma. Okay. And it's based on um, one of the limiting belief, or maybe it's not a limiting belief that I've encountered, which is um, someone's employment situation. Hmm. So what I'm curious um, about, like what your opinions are, is if there is an individual that feels inadequate that they can't meet someone because of their social standing um, based on their job, for example, should they focus on improving their um, career, their job? Should they focus on um, trying to deal with that loneliness um, and find someone? Is there some sort of balance in the middle? I'm Mm. kind of curious what your opinions are on that type of situation.
0: Good question, Dylan. Thank you.
2: Well, the simple answer to Dylan's question is all of the above. Mm. Um, And that goes back again to really understanding where these limiting beliefs are coming from and making decisions about how can I improve myself? How can I improve my job? How can I improve my perceptions of the kind of person I would like to be be with? Mm -hmm. And the more we can make those kinds of changes, the better the possibility that we're going to find someone in our life is going to improve or we'll find a better job and our life will improve or we'll find different um, activities that lead us to become involved with different kinds of people that we enjoy more. So it's, it's not just a single answer. I, th- I think it goes back again to really understanding ourselves and really being clear and, most importantly, being honest. Right. So a lot of times these limiting beliefs are very comforting. Yeah. They keep us safe, so to speak, yeah, safe absolutely. emotionally because mm-hmm. we don't have to take risks. Yeah. I'm not going to go and try and meet someone because there's nobody out there. Well, what that really means is I'm not going to go out there and take a risk because I might get hurt. Yeah. And I've been hurt a couple of times already. Yeah. I don't like that feeling. So I'm going to do everything I can to avoid that. And yeah. I'm not going to try for that new job that's coming up, even though I'm pretty well qualified for it. And anybody looking at my qualification would say, yeah, you have a good shot at it. But they may not like me. Right. And with my self-esteem the way it is, I'm not even going to try for it because I don't want to get rejected. Yeah. You so, know limiting beliefs are, are horrible things and have major impacts on our lives. They have major
0: impacts. And, you know, I think in response also to what Dylan is saying is, um, you know, I, I actually believe that as we start to do things, it, it really comes back down to our self-esteem because if you're in a job situation and it impacts your sense of self-worth, we're right back to self-esteem and whether you feel worthy of someone. And um, I think the value in doing things for yourself that promote you to a place where you want to be is that it builds your confidence and self-esteem and sense of worth. Um, So again, I think you're doing it for yourself and then as you're doing it for yourself, it, it, it can enhance that. But, you know, with, with the caveat that I have met people who have met each other under the most unusual circumstances, whether they're employed or disabled or, Um, you know, and in fact, a really good partner, that's a good fit for where you're at in your life at that particular time. Um, so I don't, I think, you know, one thing I would caution is, uh, starting with a complete limiting belief that says I'm not worthy of anyone because I, I'm, I'm struggling with my employment. That for me would be another limiting belief, um, but do what you can to be the person that you're proud of, because that's what we por- that's what we emit, that's what we put out. Is I am proud of myself, or I'm not, and and so it really is about your relationship with yourself and putting your best foot forward in being the person that you want to be, and and I think that puts us in a position to feel um, uh, to make it easier to. Um, to feel that we can actually draw someone into our lives that we we want, we would hope for, right?
2: What that brings up for me, and this goes back to something I did many, many years ago, which I don't think even you know about, Paula. Mm. I did. Uh, I wrote a newspaper column for several years, and the column that got one of the biggest responses um, was a column I did about the fear that Canadians have about taking risks yeah. and not being successful or being wrong. And in the column, I compared Canadians to Americans, and I made the point that for a lot of ambitious Americans, if you haven't failed at least once, you're just not trying. Yeah, And that's one of the things that I've really been struck with, with the, Canadians are raised to believe you shouldn't take risks. Don't make a mistake. As children were taught, oh, no, don't do that. The, you, that that's a mistake. And
0: never fail. Like don't and, fail. And don't yeah,
2: don't ever fail. I yeah. mean, How do we learn? We learn by Absolutely. trying things, taking risks. Some work out. A lot don't work out. But if we can learn from each one of them, yeah, we're miles ahead.
0: Well, if you uh, you you must have heard the um, the statement, paraphrasing of course, but is that um, you know people who have experienced more success in their lives. Are also more likely to have had failures, and the red flag for me would be that you've never failed at all, and it, you know because it, we cannot venture in life without getting hurt or bruised, or um, but we build uh, we build ourselves up so that we can prepare ourselves to put ourselves out there again. So to we in a way. We embrace failure. We embrace the fact that it's not a reflection on us. It's a reflection of our courage, maybe.
2: Absolutely. It's a positive thing. Not it's a, a positive thing. thing. Uh, reminds me of someone who was in my employee many, many years ago. Um, and this person and their partner had, um, the way they described their life was no kids, no pets, no plants. No responsibilities whatsoever except to each other. Wow. And that's all they had was the two of them in their life. And they were happy with that, and there's nothing yeah. wrong with that, yeah. but it was so incredibly limiting yeah. for them. But they couldn't see that because mm. they felt safe. Yeah. And the other example I come up uh, it, it reminds me of, is uh, the most successful inventor in the history of the world was Thomas Edison. Mm. And you know the, the story about him inventing the light bulb and being asked, why do you persist in this? We have kerosene lamps. They, they give us wonderful light. And you keep doing these things, then it doesn't work out. And Edison's response was some of the effect of, I know, but now I know 5,000 ways this doesn't work. I know, it's... it's you know? And he persisted, and he was successful. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to be learned from those kinds of, what you referred to a few minutes ago, as inspirational yeah. stories. Yeah. Don't give up. If it's something that you know is important to you, and yeah. it's, it's not criminal, and it doesn't have a negative effect on other people, don't give up. Keep yeah. on going.
0: Don't let your past predict your future. Absolutely. Do not let your past predict your future. And I think the past is done, and we always have um, a new way to start today. And I think that's a really important um, important piece to this, right? is being able to um, uh, have the resilience to face uh, a risk and trust that there's something we can learn from each failure and then perhaps open up the doors to getting what we want and absolutely yeah Um, you know
2: and so many people have talked about success comes one step after you give up
0: mm -hmm.
2: you know Tony Robbins talks a lot about that in in his tapes and things like that and cds and Mm -hmm. lots of other people have talked about that as well that you get to a certain point point, you think, well, there's really no use in continuing because this isn't going anywhere. Yeah. And if you just take another one or two or three steps, yeah. all of a sudden success yeah. is there. Yeah.
0: So Dylan, thoughts?
1: Um, it's really affirming to like see two doctors that have had a, a career um, tell me that it's okay to fail and it's actually good to do. That is part of the process because when you're going through those failures, um, it often doesn't like feel that way. You know, it feels like it's uh, like it's really hard and like it's uh, time time to give up. But and, yeah. yeah. And,
0: well, and then we start to define ourselves by the failure. Um, I'm a failure. Maybe, you know, it becomes our identity. And I'm, I'm like, we actually are not failures. We fail at something does not make one a failure Uh, you know i think i think think of failing at something as a um kind of like a mistake you know um i'm not defined by my mistakes Uh, it's a sign that i'm keep trying i i keep having a a joke and i think i might have told you this one that uh, i want written on my epitaph she died trying
2: absolutely (laughs) but you know this gets back again to the topic that we started out with, and we've sort of got around gone around it in many different ways, but relationships. And what I'm referring to is, is choose your friends carefully. Yeah. Choose people that you admire. Choose mm-hmm. people who have the qualities that maybe you have some of them, maybe you would like to have more of them. Choose people who are risk-takers, not in a stupid way, but in yes. a, a really logical, rational way make sense kind of way. Yes. People who understand how important it is not to live your life totally safe all the time, but rather to have some risk in your life, take chances, try for that new job, give that relationship a chance that looks like it may work out for you. And if it doesn't, they're there to support you. And that's really the true friends that you have. They're not the ones who say, I told you so. They're the ones who say, hey, good for you, Purse good for you for getting in there and trying.
0: Absolutely. That's great. You know, that can't even be overstated, to be honest. I think that's probably a a critical life, getting through life uh, element that we need to have is those kinds of relationships that empower us. Um, I think sometimes we choose friendships because they're comfortable and we feel it's in alignment with that they're not. Um, I, I guess. Let me give you an example. There was uh, an individual I had met once who was very reticent to hang out with people that he thought were above him. Um, uh, his concern, I think, it had to do partly with his self-esteem, it, because for him it highlighted where they're not. Or um, and so he stayed in the comfort zone with people who are probably equally dysfunctional and. And I think, or limiting. Or, or limiting, um, and being able to s- similar, really, do you not think to finding an intimate partner that we could also apply that to choosing the kind of friendships that would be good for us that Absolutely. we want. Absolutely. Yeah. You know,
2: um, I used to say all the time in my practice, I want to have the smartest people I can possibly find in my practice because they all make me look good.
0: Well, there you go. <laughs> and and here here I come. There you are. <laughs> there you are. You know,
2: it's interesting. I I, I had a, uh, a friend, an older friend, who was very successful in business, multi-billionaire. And I remember him telling me, we got talking about friendships one day, and I remember him telling me, um, you know, take a look at your 10 closest friends. Hmm. And he was just talking about finances, so I'll stay with that example. But he said, if you look at your 10 closest friends and sort of take the average of what they make, that's what you're going to make. Wow. You will be influenced by your friends to make what they make and not go beyond that. He said, if you choose people, he said, and I, I made these choices in my life. I mm-hmm. chose people who are much wealthier than me, mm-hmm. and I tried to get to know them and hang out with them and be friends with them because I wanted to be a wealthy person. I yes. didn't want to be poor when I retired. Yeah. And he said it certainly had a huge influence in terms of helping me learn how to how to look at finances and money and uh, yes, how absolutely. it affects your life. Absolutely. And that, I think the same principle applies to our relationships, whether yes. they're friendships or intimate or whatever they are. We can't choose our family, but yeah. we can choose everybody else in our life. Yeah.
0: Well, an example would be if you are looking to improve your athleticism and you want to, is you start to spend time with healthy people that are oriented towards an athletic activity and um, that mindset of discipline. Um, you know, right now I have a, a great um, a person that I'm working out with uh, five days a week, and we're on the same page and we support each other and we inspire each other. So when we uh, are drawn and put ourselves in, their vicinity, we're more likely to be influenced by them and, and, and collect some of the qualities that would allow us to move forward in our lives as well. And, you know, a lot of people I find um, are happy to share. You know, when, when, when you've accomplished a certain uh, uh, something in your life that's important to you, um, we enjoy sharing, at least from my perception. I don't know, for you, you've been wonderful at sharing from what I can see.
2: Well, I'm a golfer, mm. and I've certainly seen this over the years. When I'm golfing with people who are not, not that I'm spectacular, but not <laughs> as good as me, yeah. I don't play as well because I'm yeah. not trying as hard. Yeah. When I like to play with people who are better than me by a number of strokes, five, ten strokes, because then it somehow I concentrate more, yeah. I focus more, each shot is more important. Yeah. And what I find is those people are much more complimentary. If I hit a good shot, way to go Larry! That was yeah. a great shot. Yeah. Absolutely. Know? And so you get encouragement and you yeah. get validation and all the good things that help us to yeah. improve. And so it's so great.
0: Because I was doing the running clinic and one of the um, uh, our instructor and trainer would tell us is that when we're running an event, a marathon, half marathon, that you want to train with someone who's just one step ahead of you. Just one step ahead of you um, because you you push yourself. And so we don't need to be intimidated. It's not a sign that we're less worthy because someone is more advanced than us. I think those are other limiting beliefs people need to let go of. Um, We all are here to support and teach one another. And um, I personally have always respected and sought out people that I admired and respected and wanted to learn something from and i've found it's been a blessing for me um you know so I, yeah i think we've made some really awesome points today
2: <laughs> well it's interesting because one of the things i taught my two boys when they were when i was raising them there's no such thing as a negative experience as long as you learn something from it exactly so whether it's yeah. successful or not that's that's almost secondary yeah if you can ask yourself at the end what did i learn from this what could I do differently to be more successful next time I did this? Or how could I apply what I know now to the next thing that I get yeah. involved in? Yeah. And when you do that, life is just a constant series of successes. Yeah. There is no failures.
0: Absolutely. And the, the failures can propel you towards the success as well. And so, um, you know, and I think if you're stuck, if you're stuck, and you're even if you're tuning into um, a show like this and you're, You know, I I can sometimes work with people and trying to figure out their limiting beliefs because they're having a hard time identifying it. That's a time to go and reach out to a a skilled clinician, someone who can help you navigate the questions of how do I do this precisely. Everyone's situation is a little different. Their beliefs are a little bit different. But I think these are great concepts to um, be able to adopt into your life. Um, But always remember that if you struggle to adopt them, that's a time I think to reach out and get some support because we all need it sometimes and it's all it's all um, a sign that we want to move forward um Dylan I do you want to add something I think we've uh, uh, matched our time uh goal for for the hour but do you have anything you'd like to say uh, no
1: I I think that was uh yeah some awesome insights into the world of a uh, relationships it's definitely is making me look at things a little bit differently it was uh, awesome to have you on here larry
2: thank you it It was enjoyable being here
0: awesome to have you on and you know we have a lot more topics we're going to talk about down the road i hope
2: as your (laughs) listeners don't get bored
0: oh no lots of interesting stuff and and i think the work that you've done larry has been interesting and especially with the custody and access and I always admired you for doing that. I think that's not an easy job. I think it's a, such a big issue in our society, um, in terms of how divorces run and parenting issues. Um, so I certainly hope we can talk more about that uh, sometime down the road.
2: I'd be willing to do that.
0: But I thank you so much. It's been awesome. I, I've loved talking to you, Larry. And yeah, I'm you're welcome. you know I know you have lots of wisdom that the you know people are going to absorb and soak in and and change their lives with. Yeah.
2: Hopefully
0: a little. Absolutely. (laughs) We'll go for a little bit. That would be awesome. So um, thank you, Dylan, also for being here and always being a a great support. Um, And I want to thank the listeners and wishing you all the best in in your efforts to connect with people and uh, bring some more closeness and relationships into your lives during this Take risks. Take risks. Take risks during this challenging time. I'm sure you can accomplish it, and especially tuning into shows like this. Hopefully this is of help. So all the best to you all. Hope you're having yourselves a wonderful day today. Uh, It was a pleasure. And until next time, take good care.